Empathy is knowing our own dark Words all has power. Like without that connection, you don't have anything. What's the opposite of addiction? It's freedom. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Finding Peaks. I'm Jason Friesma, your host this week. Joining me is uh, Peaks Recovery Center's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Ashley Johnson, and Peaks Chief Clinical Officer, Jason Friesma, <laughs> Chief Operations Officer, Clint Nicholson. <laughs> Yeah. All right, straight to the blooper reel. Here we go. Um, but anyway, uh, we are here to continue a conversation with Dr. Johnson um, and kind of the innovative approaches she is taking in her, in her practice. And, and uh, where I kind of want to start is I know last week you introduced a metaphor around a frayed rope. And so if you could maybe do a quick summary of that mm -hmm. in case some people are tuning into this episode that didn't watch the last one, and then, uh, and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay, sure. Uh, so last week we had we just talked about it's a helpful analogy kind of to, to summarize the effect of ketamine, really all of the neuromodulatory um, treatments. That was kind of the word that we've lumped these treatments okay. into. I'll try to remember uh, that. So basically just meaning <laughs> we modulate nerves, um, meaning we change nerves or improve them is the hope. And so the analogy of the frayed rope um, helps people understand that uh, if you, it's like taking a, a rope, like a hemp rope that's got a lot of fibers uh, kind of braided together and twisted together. And um, so when you take something rough like a brick, maybe, maybe even like a razor blade or something, and you rub it across it, it just frays the rope um, in that area and um, we liken that to untreated mental health conditions mm. uh, to include chronic pain uh, and substance use disorders. And so when all of those conditions kind of go untreated for years, in mm -hmm. most cases, um, it's, it's like it's fraying the ropes of our brain. So the ropes are, are synonymous with nerves. Mm -hmm. So nerves are typically long and um, they're just elongated at, like a rope is. And so uh, when all these uh, kind of neurotransmitters and hormones are, are, are dysregulated in our body over time, that's usually how the PTSD or the major depression is manifesting internally. Um, it's fraying the ropes of your brain. And so when we what we found is that we have to intervene in that process. In order to stop that process of dis, uh, destruction to the nerves, um, we have over time found many different types of treatments that work to stop that process, but then go a step further and what, do what we call neuroregeneration. So meaning it helps rebuild the nerves, but it also helps, um, like Clinton mentioned, is like the the medications, the therapies, the TMS is like pouring wax on the nerve. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like it's trying to help heal it. Mm -hmm. um, not so much like a Band-Aid, but to where it takes it a step further and actually neuro-regenerates. And it smooths out that rope, in a sense. Um, and while they, all of these treatments that we talked about, um, ketamine infusion, Spravato, which is S-ketamine nasal spray, 
transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is TMS, um, psychotherapy that targets all these different disorders. Uh, all of them are kind of working in the same way, and, and also to include psychiatric medications, um, in that they're stopping the assaultive process mm -hmm. on our brains, and then they're helping us to move forward and regenerate. Okay. And I wanted to talk just for a minute specifically about TMS. I had the privilege of helping you, I think, uh, hone in your machine, and you, you put a cap on me. <laughs> and turned the dial up to 11 out of 10 and uh, <laughs> gave me a little shot of magnets. Um, but I'd love for you to explain it in a way that isn't uh, so colloquial. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good way. Yeah. We'll understand yeah, that. Yeah. So um, maybe we should get a clip for this podcast. Of <laughs> so, yeah, the I, machine. I, yeah, yeah. yeah, your little machine. I would love down. to film that. Yeah, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll also get Clinton. I really <laughs> like him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what we do with uh, the machine that I use in my clinic uh, is uh, manufactured by Brainsway. And so... I mentioned that not to advertise for them necessarily, but because they have patented their type of device where they utilize a helmet. So they are the only TMS device manufacturer that utilizes a helmet to deliver these uh, magnetic pulses essentially into um, the brain and different areas of the brain that correspond with some different conditions that people suffer from. Um, and all of the other types of devices out there are what we call figure eight devices for the most part. Those are all the ones that are on the market primarily and are FDA approved for major depressive disorder treatment. And actually more specifically, treatment resistant major depressive disorder or TRD, treatment resistant depression. So that's kind of the new um, or terminology. emerging terminology, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, that will become standard or is becoming standard. And so um, with TMS, when it's administered through a helmet, uh, we have you come and sit in a chair, much like the one you're sitting in. It's got a straight back, um, it's not reclined, but we place the helmet, we deliver a few pulses uh, to, to try to locate different areas of your brain and specifically, um, the area of the motor cortex, which is the outer layer of the brain, is what cortex is. Um, and motor refers to muscle. And so when we find that motor cortex, by delivering a few pulses here and there, it will um, we'll focus on, for major depression, having your fingers twitch like that. And then we know, okay, look, we found the motor cortex. If we can get your fingers to twitch, it doesn't hurt unless you turn it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the goal is to treat at the lowest intensity possible. Mm -hmm. um, Just to, um, for my own clarification, uh, the process of finding the cortex or the motor cortex, is that the brain mapping piece that you talk about? Is, yes. Is that what that's referring to? Exactly, thank you. That, okay. that is the term for the first session that you, um, you attend for to start TMS is, mm -hmm. a, is essentially the intake. Um, and so it's where we are learning the most about your brain specifically because everyone's brain is very different and has 
uh, nuances as to where maybe mm -hmm. neurons are crossing and that kind of thing. And so we have to do kind of like a test sure. to identify where your specific, uh, in the case of major depression, your specific left prefrontal cortex is. Mm. And so that is what we are looking for so that when we place the helmet then for the treatment session, um, that is where the, it's about right here on your brain, uh, that's where the left prefrontal cortex is. And so this helmet is, is guiding all of these magnetic forces right here into the left prefrontal cortex. And so that will pulse um, thousands of pulses over about a 20 minute period of time. Right now is kind of the standard for mm -hmm. how long it takes to go through a TMS session for major depression. We now have a very accessible, um, improved time frame that we can um, administer the same treatment with about the same efficacy, meaning this, this, you get the same effect pretty much from it in three minutes. Mm. So we've now come over time from 20 minute sessions every day, five days a week for six weeks to now three minutes a day. Um, and so that's, that's been pretty groundbreaking as well. That's called the theta burst. Mm -hmm. um, and you may see that on websites and such for different clinics that administer TMS. They'll call it theta burst mm -hmm. stimulation and uh, TBS is the way that it's being abbreviated now. So all of this terminology is just emerging and becoming standard. So, um, but that, that frees people up a great deal in their lives because as you can imagine, six weeks of coming into a clinic five days a week uh, can be pretty cumbersome sure. on your life if you're mm -hmm. trying to work, try to raise your family, trying to go to school, that kind of thing. And so now that we have a three minute treatment session that has uh, made it a little more accessible for mm -hmm. people. So with TMS, the beauty of it is that you can still go back to work, sure. back to school in the same day, go back home, you can drive yourself. There are no restrictions in that regard for the most part, unless you have some very obvious side effects, which is extremely rare. So as far as being invasive, it would, be, would it be considered a, a non-invasive? It's considered non-invasive, okay. exactly. Um, and the FDA has approved TMS now for, uh, first was for treatment-resistant depression, mm -hmm. TRD, and, and then was OCD mm -hmm. with a, a few select devices. Not all devices are approved to treat OCD. The Brainsway device with the helmet is approved for that specifically. Um, and it, that's somewhat important for people to understand because that way, if they do suffer from debilitating OCD and they need to get TMS for it, uh, because medications are notorious for not um, fully treating OCD. Um, they need to look for a clinic that has the OCD-specific TMS device. Okay. Um, they, they're not all the same. And so that, that's one way that you can look for that. Um, well, I think that's important to identify that not all TMS is the same, that mm -hmm. not all TMS devices are the same, and that... Um, different devices will be more efficacious for different diagnoses, mm -hmm. and uh, it's, so it's a it's a really I think that we start using state uh, you know um, 
TMS and it becomes a sort of generalized idea or concept, but the reality is that TMS is a really diverse, within, within the treatment itself is really diverse in mm -hmm. approach. And um, yeah, so I think that's really interesting. It is, it's absolutely. And there's more, you know, every year it seems like there's more uh, movement in what type of devices are coming onto the market yeah. uh, to treat different conditions like migraines. Right now there's um, a TMS-like device delivers the same type of magnetic right. pulses, but you hold it up behind your head uh, to treat, basically to abort a migraine. Interesting. Um, yeah. Just with a, a few pulses, and right. you can have it at home. And so you can see that, you know, there's this whole spectrum and evolution of TMS that I think we'll see quickly come out um, as they're doing more studies on it how to maybe deliver different protocols right. through the day yeah. and that kind of thing. It's kind like, of like the evolution of the computer, yeah. right? It starts off and it takes up this entire room right now and <laughs> and, and now it's right here on this table exactly. you know, over time. Yeah. Exactly. That's really interesting. So, so it, it, I find this to be so interesting and, I, and it's an emerging field and then I'm a counselor, so I, uh, my knowledge of it is very limited um, other than you know what I can read online and, and everything. But I, I did wonder, just from your perspective, I, I had found um, an article talking about ketamine, um, and it studied people who just got ketamine, and then people who received ketamine and therapy, and then people who received just therapy, and then people who received neither. And far and away, the most efficacious uh, intervention um, for depression was the was the ketamine and therapy piece. And and how do you how do you see those how do you see these new modalities uh, that you're talking about? Um, Modulating modalities—I can't remember what the term was—but uh, neuromodulation. Neuromodulation. Yeah. yeah. The, the neuromodulation uh, interventions. How do you see that um, being enhanced by uh, clinical interventions from a, from a counseling perspective? So right now, I think we are very early yeah. in this process. The protocols are still being developed and refined through, um, you know, our major institutions right now. Um, as far as ketamine-assisted therapy um, goes, uh, there are lots of therapists out there who are um, working hard at, at helping develop these protocols. Um, and, and I think the reason you're hearing so much about it is because they're seeing such improved outcomes, especially in PTSD. Um, and while I, I don't know that it, they're going to be, you know, complicated protocols that we'll find. I think what we see is, is we're really applying our principles of therapy and mm -hmm. the various different modalities, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, prolonged exposure, um, to basically while someone's under the influence of ketamine, that, that kind of opens up their mind sure. so that you can help rework the memories. Hmm. And uh, I've seen it quite a bit to where I've even attempted it myself and um, as a psychiatrist in, in my office where someone is, is really going through the ketamine infusion really for more the nerve repair mm -hmm. aspect of it. And because we know it has a very rapid, immediate antidepressant effect but you can see how pliable their mind becomes while they're going through the infusion. And so you actually feel, especially a seasoned therapist, you actually feel a lot of confidence that, wow, 
we've got some amazing access yeah, some to real this person's with. memories. Yeah, yes, their pain, their, um, you know, how they've been experiencing their grief mm. um, to where you can start applying if you've, you know, in most cases, been able to build some rapport with this patient by gathering their history, their um, psychosocial history specifically, understanding diagnostically why do they suffer from mm -hmm. what they suffer from so that you can then, if you are present while they're going through the ketamine infusion, you can then intervene um, in the discussion with them. They are way, you know, for the most part, I think, um, most patients that I've treated in this realm, uh, they are very willing to discuss. And as long as they feel safe, that you're there. Um, occasionally, you know, they'll, they'll feel like some weird dissociative effects because it's a dissociative anesthetic. But there are ways to kind of comfort someone, help give them tips on, you know, just kind of put your hand on the, the seat. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes they'll feel like maybe the bottom, the floor is falling out from under them, not quickly, but it's kind of like a, an odd sensation that they might feel. Um, but there's, there's some very good ways that you can address that while you're talking with them, co constantly reassuring them that you're with them, mm -hmm. who you are, um, where they are, um, and how much they're, they're being supported and that it's a safe place to discuss there. Yeah their trauma, basically. It's so interesting to mm -hmm. think about dissociation. I mean, when we talk about it in clinical terms and, t and generally speaking, I mean, it, it's not a, a positive or a, um, it's affirming word or, or experience for people, but to think to, to use a, a level of dissociation mm -hmm. that it makes that kind of unlocks all of these doors that mm -hmm. otherwise could take, I don't know, years to unlock. I Absolutely. mean, we work uh, I mean, therapists can work for months and months and months to try to get, act, like you said, sort of this, this access to mm -hmm. the mind in a, in a way that um, what, a, what seems that ketamine gives us almost instant access to through this kind of dissociative moment, yes. dissociative properties. And the, another beautiful part of it is that ketamine is so short-acting mm. that you recover ex very quickly right. from it. Um, so what we typically do is we'll have someone uh, complete the infusion within about 40 minutes, mm -hmm. and then they have about 20 minutes of recovery time, and then they're usually able to walk out the door. Uh, they can't drive, sure. but they're able to usually safely go home with, with someone um, whom they trust, um, get through the evening, sleep it off, Mm -hmm. And then uh, the goal is to see the antidepressant effect continue. Sure. Um, or maybe in, in the case of PTSD, maybe see the edge come off of the hypervigilance, sure. the avoidance behaviors, and all of those uh, hallmark symptoms that you typically see with PTSD. Maybe the intrusive memories aren't as intense as well. Mm, so absolutely. It, it's really exciting to see that happen. I have also seen it with OCD to where people are they feel free to become more productive, like in their job. Um, they are less obsessing about, you know, whatever it is that, that they're obsessive about, whether it's body image, um, whether it's, a, it, it's about, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this right, right. Um, that kind of thing. And then the compulsions that usually follow, mm -hmm. um, oftentimes will just ease off. Pretty amazing. Do, do you have any indication if people can remember the experience? Like if, 
if somebody does a therapeutic intervention uh, during the infusion or right after, do they remember it? They do some. Okay. I, um, I think most patients that I've treated with ketamine remember most of the time okay. that they're in the room. Yeah. Um, I actually notice, though, that the parts that they don't remember are insignificant okay. mm -hmm. and actually good because it was the times where maybe they felt like, where am I? You know, I don't, sure. I don't know what's going on here. Am I mm -hmm. outside of my body? I mean, that can be common. Um, maybe they see the walls start to wave. That's, that's common, too. Um, they don't remember that, typically speaking. And if you can comfort them through it and reassure them that this is normal, let's keep going, they're usually um, going to do fine. Interesting. And then where, where do you see this all headed? We were talking before the show that um, all of your training and experience with, with this modality has been since uh, you got out of med school. So you've had to teach yourself or, or access whatever resources were out there to learn this stuff. But where's this headed? I, I mean, I think about um, psilocybin or... Um, LSD microdosing, these are kind of some popular things right now. I mean, mm -hmm. psilocybin isn't uh, criminalized in Denver anymore, and, and so mm -hmm. I know people are kind of drawn to that, or where, yeah, where, where do you see this emerging with other options? I think there is a, uh, a rush to regulate now. That makes sense. And uh, that's what I am seeing. I'm hearing about, reading about. I know they're studying psilocybin in Boulder. Mm. Um, Psilocybin-assisted therapy. Yeah, yes, it yeah. does. Right? They were already using it. That is so on the nose. Right? Yeah, very on brand. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but I also was just reading this week how um, you know all the Ivy League schools, the major medical institutions there, are quickly trying to form a psychedelic psychotherapy psychedelic psychiatry residency or fellowship basically wow. so that like i went through a general adult psychiatry residency right sure. that's four years um well there's many different ways that you can then subspecialize in child and adolescent psychiatry sleep medicine or um you know geriatric psychiatry those kind of um specializations and now they're trying to add psychedelic psych interesting psychiatry i still have to think about how to say it yeah that's, um, that is going to be tough to say yes yeah um so that because you can feel it's like this wave coming yeah. of huh. all of this uh, momentum to uh, kind of like the gold rush of trying to find out how do we do this safely right um because like we were talking about before, most of these treatments all really kind of emerged around the same time, or at least re-emerged. Mm -hmm. LSD is a re-emergence, really. Yeah. Um, you know, decades ago, they were studying it. Um, it just didn't quite go anywhere. Um, and now I think ketamine is being lumped into the psychedelics. And um, Interesting. so I think it's been kind of, you know, as far as I have seen it, it's been kind of the trailblazer here. And so now psilocybin follows and LSD and um, MDMA. Mm. Uh, ecstasy. Again, another that's a sort of like coming back. Yes, yeah, that exactly. Was started in the 80s, really. So, yeah. 
Exactly, and, and so I don't know. Maybe we have more resources now to study it more thoroughly um, and safely. That's my hope um, is why. Well, it seems like, I mean, most of those drugs were Schedule One drugs where they sure. no medical mm -hmm. use, and so... I mean, you'd be punished way more for having mushrooms than, say, heroin, which is a Schedule II, I believe, if I remember right. But like, yeah. I just find it really interesting that likely that war on drugs and scheduling the drugs in that way uh, create that um, despair or put so many barriers to researching this. Because yeah. it was basically saying and, and it's social stigma and on yeah. its own. I mean, I think that it's, you know, there was. Uh, what we don't understand, we tend to stigmatize, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And then what sure. we stigmatize, we tend to make illegal. So, yeah. right. And then hopefully yeah. in the end, that regulation or over-regulation maybe of it, stigmatization as well, we can find the balance Absolutely. in it. Absolutely. And yeah. I think, for instance, with ketamine, I think that's, you know, it's a schedule two. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think necessarily so. Sure. Um, in that it does help keep it controlled um, you know, in, in most cases, except in like this, like we were talking about the online companies that maybe it's, it's just easier to access oral ketamine um, with some access to maybe an online therapist as well. So seemingly that, that is fairly unregulated. Absolutely. It's just difficult to tell. And um, also, as we talked about, you know, I've, had, I've worked with many patients who have felt as if that was such an unregulated approach to utilizing ketamine um, that they actually suffered from it in that um, it kind of got them on a anxiety mood roller coaster and that they would t they were taking ketamine as needed um, which many drugs are prescribed that way uh, but the effect that they got from the ketamine was not what they anticipated right um, yeah we're not looking at full efficacy mm -hmm. in that in that manner, so. Exactly. I, th yeah, I think it's, I'm, it's interesting that all of these sort of new uh, approaches kind of surfaced around the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Like we see this sort of like, I don't know, is this second, maybe third wave of psychiatric intervention approaches, mm -hmm. especially to mental health. Um, and I'm curious what you're, I'm just kind of from my own curiosity, what, what do you think propagated that? You know, like what do you think kind of initiated mm -hmm. or sort of started moving us into this direction, into this new wave of psychiatry or this next wave of psychiatry? I think, uh, I think we just got tired of, or maybe stagnant's a better word, sure. of the medications not achieving more than, you know, maybe 30% efficacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, in treating the vast majority of these disorders that we've talked about. Um, and so, you know, as necessity is the mother of invention, right? Absolutely. And so uh, I think necessity be can be equated to people suffering, really, is that is what's driven us to keep looking. Is, you know, I think we always had these clues uh, in the neurologic realm of how the brain was working and overlapping with the psychiatric conditions. Uh, so neurologic and psychiatric processes very much overlap to include pain um, and, and substance use that the fields have kind of converged some. Absolutely. And so that's where I think TMS is a great example of that.
And that's been in development since 1985. Uh, it just took until 2008 for insurances to start covering it, so. Right on time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> well, I would like to uh, come out on this show as a former employee of a big pharma company. I used to sell pharmaceuticals. And I think part of my answer to your question is like pharmaceutical companies want people on medications that they take every day for the next two years. And when I hear about these treatment episodes of TMS or ketamine, it's very short. And so there isn't a ton of money to make for big pharma. And these are medications that aren't really regulated by big pharma, mm -hmm. at least right now, until they come up with different formulations like Spravata. But like, I think, I think it's interesting that uh, I feel like psychiatry is moving away from its reliance on big pharma and, yeah. and kind of carving their own path now. That's my yeah. weird, that's my outsider's And as view a psychiatrist, it. that's very freeing. Yeah, I'm sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, up until the last few years, I, I mean, I have felt like I am completely dependent yeah. on finding a medication that can help in some way and that almost no matter what, whoever comes to me, uh, is expecting to be prescribed something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's nice to now be able to offer different treatments that they don't feel like they, will, they have to be reliant on it. Um, now, it doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily change the trajectory for some people who have chronic conditions. They may sure. have to stay on their medications sure, the rest of their lives. Yeah. But they may not have to uh, be only partially treated, right. partially improved. And that's what the vast majority of people, I think, have had to suffer through up until we've started finding these new, newer treatments. Well, and we talk about disrupting an industry right at Peaks, and I think mm -hmm. that this is, it's great to see psychiatry as a field have these sort of um, avenues of disruption mm -hmm. where we do get to see uh, innovation come forward. And we, and we recognize that suffering has not gone away, nor will it ever, but we can do a better job as far as addressing it, mm -hmm. especially the levels and types of suffering that are debilitating for people and chronic and, and really, um, really disrupt their lives in a way that is um, really uh, tragic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and unmanageable, Absolutely. for sure. I, I, I have one more unscripted question. I might have more. Uh, <laughs> um, do you see a lane for cannabis in this? And if not, why not? Because like we, we're here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could probably see some dispensaries from where we sit. Like I, is there a lane for cannabis? Because that's all the popular thing, right? Is, yeah. And we also treat cannabis use disorder yeah, it, it, as part of our, yeah, in our clinics or it, at peaks. And so. certainly at some levels, it exacerbates a lot of mental health issues, but I'm wondering if there's a lane for it as a medicine too. I, I'm, I'm curious. I think there will be. Okay. I think we're trying to get there. Uh, again, it's kind of like this just ever-evolving process to regulate sure. the dosing of yeah. THC, yeah. Um, you know, now we understand a little bit more about CBD and mm -hmm. um, how it's not psychoactive and that kind of thing, and, and it can treat some of the things that marijuana, in particular, we were relying on to try to treat, um, like insomnia or pain or even PTSD, which there are no, you know, if you, if you rely on the FDA to put out these indications. Cannabis is not approved for anything sure. mm -hmm. by the FDA. Um, 
And I, I am passionate about letting people know it's absolutely not indicated for PTSD, for major depression, for really any psychiatric yeah. uh, condition. But the word on the street is that it is. Mm, and sure. you, can, you, know, you can find justification pretty much anywhere online um, <laughs> if you want. For literally anything. Anything, yeah. right? <laughs> and so there is a lot to be found out there of um, people and companies and institutions trying to justify it, but none of it has ever been proven safe um, and effective to treat those specific conditions. Because um, guaranteed the VA would be, yeah. you know, um, advocating for that, for PTSD, if, it were, if the studies were there and the evidence was there that it was well treated that way. Um, and so I think cannabis in particular is going to follow a, a different path because we know so much about it and its side effects. Um, now, whether or not people believe the side effects because of this legalization process, I think maybe it can cloud that yeah. mm -hmm. somewhat, is that that gives people a false sense of security, is that, safety. oh, well, it's legal, yeah. it must be safe. Must be safe. Yeah. It's kind of like with alcohol, sure. right? Is, yeah, it's legal, but it's not safe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it depends on the level of use. When do you start using it? Um, and actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, it's kind of uh, very similar to the trajectory of alcohol use in someone's life. If they start as a child drinking alcohol, it's probably indicative of the problems they're gonna have later in life. Um, or as a teenager. Um, we know that if, if you start drinking regularly at age 15 uh, or earlier, you have a much, much higher risk of developing alcoholism or alcohol use disorder, um, you know, within the next decade of your life, pretty much. And similarities could be discussed about cannabis in that uh, we know that if you start using cannabis in your teens, adolescents in general, and regularly, you have about a 15% percent chance of uh, developing schizophrenia from it, hmm. uh, meaning permanent psychosis. It never goes away. And it could be a low level of it. Uh, I've seen it in many people where they just kind of carry around a low level of paranoia. Um, they just constantly have to do reality checking. and um, But it is disruptive in their life. And so usually you can go back and you can take a history to find that they started using cannabis very early in life, usually in early high school or middle school, and, uh, and just continued from there. And so, and if you have an underlying genetic predisposition mm -hmm. for a psychotic disorder or a mood disorder like bipolar, you are at much higher risk of just opening that box through cannabis use. Uh, and a lot of people just don't realize that, they don't right. understand it. Um, We've also found uh, some very good evidence that people who have used cannabis off and on since adolescence, if they continue to use it in their uh, later decades of life, starting in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, if they're using it consistently then, um, even if they've taken a break from it, like in their 20s and 30s potentially, uh, and then they go back to regular use of cannabis, 
the cognitive decline is very significant. Interesting. Um, mm. And in that age group specifically, and um, whereas if someone who has never touched cannabis or rarely up until their uh, 40s or 50s, and then they start using it, they have a much less, uh, they have a lesser chance of having that significant of a cognitive decline hmm. uh, in those age groups. So it, there's just, there is a lot to consider. Yeah, there's so many caveats mm -hmm. to, to that question, it sounds like. But, yeah, the, yeah, there are. And it, the difference, of course, with alcohol is like alcohol is a liquor, you get it from the liquor store. These dispensaries put, you know, little green crosses and act like yeah, that there's medicine. a medical reason and mm -hmm. justification and that it's somehow um, safe or approved or whatever. And I think that that's, I mean, unlike the other medications we were talking about earlier and interventions like TMS, marijuana is much more ready, shoot, aim. We're like, yeah. we've already shot it, now we're trying to aim it. Right. Uh, probably yeah. the wrong order there. <laughs> um, so I, uh, we are at a out of time and I just hit my mic. Um, I, really, I really appreciate you coming in and joining um, us. I, this, I think, is a really exciting direction that we're headed in. And I think, um, you know, having been in this field a long time, and like I said, even worked in the pharmaceutical field, it is refreshing to think about something other than, um, you know, a lifetime of a medication cocktail mm -hmm. uh, that constantly needs adjustment and all that. That if there could be things that either augment the medications or even can help people come off of them or whatever mm -hmm. to, to treat um, mental health illness, uh, I think that'd be great. So with that, we, we will sign off. Um, thank you all for tuning in. I, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I certainly did. Um, please follow us on Facebook and uh, we have a TikTok account, which is weird. And then, um, <laughs> uh, and then so uh, Instagram and all those other things. But uh, uh, thank you. And that is all. Thank you.